Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Okay, tonight we'll be looking at 2 Kings chapter 8, the first few verses, as we look at a story concerning the Shunammite woman, Elisha the prophet, Joash the king of Israel, and Gehazi, who would have been afflicted with leprosy by this time. Elisha's former assistant went from hanging out with Elisha to now hanging out with the king of Israel. Uh, He's that kind of a guy, right? Okay, so he's got the leprosy, but he's there in the palace with the king. It's a very interesting story. We have a famine, and tonight our message is faith in the famine. So we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 8, 2 Samuel, excuse me, 2 Kings Chapter 8, verse 1, 2 Kings. If you have a Bible, if not, it's pretty simple text, so I'll read it out to you. The, it, the kingdom of Israel is divided in two right now. We know that. There's a southern king, the Judah king, and then there's a northern king, and this is all going on. This is what the whole book's about. And so with that background, we read, Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, which, of course, is the Shunammite woman from a couple chapters previously, earlier on in the book. And he said to her, Arise and go, you, your household, and stay wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore, it'll come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God, and she went from her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines seven years. It came to pass at the end of the seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, and she went to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. Then the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, please, all the great things Elisha has done. Not happen, as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead to life, that there was a woman whose son Elisha had restored to life from her house and restored to life. So appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman. This is her son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him, So the king appointed a certain officer for her, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left the land until now. We've been talking about the double portion. There's a double portion that appears negative on the front end, and there's a double portion that for sure is positive and encouraging on the back end. The double portion on the front end is there's going to be a famine. And not only is there going to be a famine, there's going to be a famine for seven years. That's like the daily double of bad news. It's one thing to have an economic downturn for like a year. Seven years is a long time. So it's not exactly news you want to hear, but it's reality. And the Lord has given this information, this intel up front early to those Shunammite women so she can take action to look out for the interest for herself, her elderly husband, and her miracle son that God had given her and then raised from the dead after he had died from some type of a brain tumor or something that sort. Elijah had revived him back to life. And again, that story was earlier on as we were in 2 Kings. Then we get the double portion again because when it's all said and done, 
Because there's famines, but they all run their course. There's an ebb and flow on planet Earth with economies, how things work, the stock market, real estate, these kinds of things. We don't know crypto yet. The jury's out on that one. But real estate and stock market, they have an ebb and flow in human history that we can study. And if you're in the long game, is the long game. And things just have a way of playing out over the long run. And sooner or later, the famine is actually over. And in this case, it was over. And for her, God not only restored her land, which was hers, which would imply there probably were squatters there. We'll get back to that. But he restored what the land would have produced for seven years. In other words, he gave her the profits from the land, even though she didn't dwell in the land. She obeyed the Lord and did what the Lord showed her to do through the prophet Elisha. And then through her obedience, when it's all said and done, and the famine ran its course over seven years, she gets her property back and she gets the wealth that it generated for the seven years she was gone. Not only that, King Joash does something good again, even though he's a bad king, he does something good again because he took out the altars to Baal earlier on. He blesses her and appoints her a, a, a chief, if you will. He gives her a lawyer. He appoints her a lawyer, an advocate. Because you saw that there in verse 6. It says, the king appointed a certain officer for her saying, restore all that. He gave her a lawyer, a good one. He gave her a lawyer who got her property back, drove anyone out of there that shouldn't have been there, and made sure she got all the proceeds from what was rightfully hers from her land and what it generated. So we start with this double portion of bad news. Famine, seven years, but we end with a double portion of good news. It's your property, it's restored to you, and you get all the wealth that generated while you were gone. So these are the bookends of this story as we talk about faith in the famine. Now, there are famines in the Bible, and contextually, we do understand that famines are economic issues. It's an agriculture society in Israel, and a famine affects your pocketbook. It affects your finances. It affects your personal wealth. It's just the way it was and is in agri-societies. No rain, no food. That's just the way it works, okay? So we understand that. And so in the Old Testament, there are, and in the New Testament, there are famines, and the famines did certain things in the Bible. We learn lessons from these famines. Abraham, when he came to the promised land as Abram, he had a famine. He panicked and went to Israel, excuse me, went to Egypt. And that was not the plan that God had for him. But God preserved him in Egypt because his wife, Sarai, was obedient. And God blessed him for her. That's Bible study in its own right. Isaac, his son, in the land of promise, had a famine as well. Plus, he had the herdsmen cogging the wells that God had given to his dad, and yet he sowed during the famine. We're told during the famine, he began to sow, and he prospered, and became very prosperous, and he prospered a hundredfold by sowing in the land during a famine. Then the son of Isaac, Jacob, who had his many sons, after they betrayed Joseph, the favorite son, to Egypt, Another famine happened, and that was a seven-year famine. It was a regional famine. affected the region. It affected Israel and Egypt. And that famine tested Jacob, revealed his, his misconceptions and wrong perspective of the Lord, the heart of God, Abba Father, Jehovah Jireh. It, it was all wrong in his head, and, and God wanted to straighten that out. And so that famine reconciled 
the family. And because Joseph saved the family in Egypt by what he did, and the brothers who betrayed him had to go down there to get food, not knowing he was there and still alive. So we know that whole story played out. When it was all said and done, Joseph passed his test. He forgave his brothers. He provided for his family, a household of 70. Jacob died in peace with joy, and the family was fed. So not only was the provision taken care of through Joseph's position of number two in the kingdom in Egypt to provide for his family in Israel during the famine, but the family was reconciled. And decades of falsehood and deception were all brought to a head, as painful as it was, and forgiveness and reconciliation took place. Later on in the New Testament, we see another famine there in the book of Acts, where we're told in the time of Claudius Caesar that it would affect uh, the whole earth, if you will, so that entire Mediterranean region. Because a famine can be a local thing, it can be a regional thing, and it could be in the end of the age, and who knows where the planet's headed before the Lord comes back, but it it could be global, of course, because in the last days in the book of Revelation, everyone's hungry and they'll sell their soul for a piece of bread daily. So the world actually, if you think about it, the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ tells us the world's moving toward a global famine where people will sell their souls to be fed. We should never underestimate the power of hunger. And so this is the background of famines. In the New Testament, when they had the famine, what did the church do? Well, the church, in their poverty, raised funds to provide for one another. So those who had a little bit more provided for those who had a little bit less. And it's a beautiful story. It wasn't forcing them like a communist, Marxist, socialist government. It was by their volitional will and choice to provide and bless others. And that's the distinction. Christian charity is motivated from the heart by love of Christ and love for your neighbor. The two great commandments. Totalitarian governments force it on you. They don't produce anything. They take things and redistribute. And then once there's no longer anyone producing stuff, there's nothing left to take and they collapse. I think we know and understand that with human history. So it's a beautiful thing with the famine in the New Testament church because the people gave out of their poverty to look out for one another and take care of one another. It was a self-determined choice. And it showed the reality of their faith and their heart for humanity in obedience to the Lord. Now, in this story, the Shunammite woman is a woman of faith. She recognized God's call in Elisha's life earlier on and said to her husband, who we're told is older, he's older, so she's, you know, there's an age difference there. We don't know exactly what it is, but he's referred to as being older in the age gap with her. And she said to her husband, you know, this guy is the man of God. We should provide a room for him as he comes and goes doing his ministry. He's like an itinerant evangelist. We should provide a place for him. And the husband said, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. They had no children. So they set up a room for him and Gehazi. So as they went around doing the ministry of the Lord in, there in Israel, they could stop and be refreshed there. It's always nice to have a, a, you know, a room and board, a little Airbnb action or something like that, a bed and breakfast for when you're doing the Lord's work. And that's what they had. That's what he had plus Gehazi. Because Gehazi was staying, he would be traveling with them when they stayed there. Then he said to the woman, hey, do you want an audience with the king? This is interesting. Because what does she have here? An audience with the king. He offered her an audience with the king years prior, before she actually needed an audience with the king. Elisha offered it. She said, Gehazi's like, no, she doesn't need that. The one thing she doesn't have, though, because he's talking to Gehazi, his assistant, is she doesn't. She doesn't have a son. 
And so he said, go tell her this time next year, you'll have a son. And when it was declared, she goes, oh no, don't even say that. See, she was, she was the kind of person who was afraid to get their hopes up because their, their concept of God was skewed. Our God's a blessing God and he wants to do good things for his people. He didn't send his son to die on the cross because he wants to punish us. He sent his son to die on the cross because he wants to save us. We're told through Jeremiah the prophet, even in the worst experience that Israel ever had, God said to Israel in the Old Testament, my thoughts for you are good thoughts. Not thoughts of evil, but good thoughts of a future and a hope. But so often because of our sin, our self-condemnation, the devil's condemnation, our failures, we, in the human experience, so often think God's against us. Of course, world religions love this because then they put people under superstition and bondage and fear and world religions can drive off that. Christian religion can drive off it too when it's misrepresented. But God is good. David himself said, who had a heart for God, what did he say? Taste and see that the Lord is good. So the Shunammite woman was so afraid to have a son, she did, so afraid to even dream of having a son, that natural maternal instinct. She's like, no, don't even say that. She's afraid to get her hopes up. But God gave her a son. It's another one of those miracle babies in the Old Testament. He gave her a son. So can you imagine her joy when she, you know, missed her cycle and then she's pregnant, first trimester, second, third, like, like wow, like the joy. Because when people want to have children and they can't, then they do have children. It is so joyful. It is so joyful. I've been involved in these situations so many times in 30 years of ministry. It is so joyful. At the Southeast Pastors Conference in the early 90s, they're having an afterglow. And I was sitting in the back, about a thousand people. It's a big afterglow. They're playing up front and all this stuff and playing worship. And the Lord showed me a couple in the front. And he said, they want to have a child, but she can't get pregnant. This totally came in my mind. I want you to go pray for them to have a child. Man, you better be full of faith if you're going to do that, right? Think that one through if that's you. I'm just like you. I'm like, oh, who? Like how much faith do you have in this afterglow? I don't know. But that was a very definitive thought. I wouldn't have thought it. So it's probably the Lord. Malcolm Wilde's up there doing his thing. I'm like, okay, he's pretty Pentecostal too. So I'm like, okay, I'm feeling a little bit encouraged right now. So I go up front and I see this couple. I go, hey, hey, but I didn't quite have enough faith. I said, I'm from Calvary Chapel, Hampton Roads and the Lord put you on my heart. Is there something I can pray for you? And they're like, yeah, we've been sick. I'm like, okay, Lord, heal. And I pray for their sickness. And the Lord's like, ah. like, and so I pray for him. I go, guys, I'm so sorry, but I have to say this. Have you been wanting to have a child? And the woman immediately began to sob. Oh, my faith was so strengthened. Oh, so strengthened. I was like, God's going to give you a child. And we're going to pray right now and build an altar to the Lord. We're going to pray for her to the Lord to open your womb and you're going to have a child. And I pray for her. A year later, they showed me that child at the same conference. Our God is able. Our God is mighty, and he's a blessing God. But he, he calls us to be saved by faith, to live by faith, to walk by faith, and step into eternity in full faith. And the moment we're not living by faith, we're living in a rut, which is only depth and width compared to the grave. We're called to live by faith. All my faith was so strengthened that night. I didn't even need to see the baby the next year, but I did. Oh, she's all grown up now. She'd be a woman, an adult woman now. Isn't it wonderful being in your 60s and have stories of faith like that? What's more important is the, the stories we're going to get tomorrow. Amen? I like a story like that from the past, but I want stories for tomorrow, and so should you. So this is the Shunammite woman's world. 
God did give her a son, but then he ran to his father, so he's old enough to talk and communicate, so maybe he's a toddler, maybe he's first grade, second grade, but he goes, Father, Father, my head, my head, and he collapsed, and they took him upstairs, and he, he dropped dead, essentially. Maybe an aneurysm or something like that, who knows, but the woman, the Shunammite woman, like she ran up, she took her son and laid him on Elisha's bed in the guest room. Because that was the flashpoint of faith, like Jesus' tassel with the woman with the flow of blood. There's always a flashpoint of faith for us. It's always Jesus. But sometimes, you know, it's Paul's healing handkerchief that tells you it's Jesus. Or the tassel of Jesus that says he's the Messiah. And that bed that Elisha slept on was her flashpoint of faith for the man of God. He was out of town. Well, as the story goes, he found out that the child was sick. She went to go get him at Mount Carmel. They hustled. Gehazi put the rod of Elijah over the boy, but nothing happened. And then Elijah went upstairs, prayed over the boy, breathed on him, laid on him, breathed on him. And his life, he did it seven times upstairs, downstairs, like Jesus with Jairus' daughter in the New Testament. And his life was restored to him. And he presented the son to her. This is important. Because as you live by faith, your faith gets stronger for when you face the famine. When you had this misconceived concept that God's against you and then God gave you a son and you had your hopes up and you saw the miracle baby, but then when he died, what did she say to Elisha? I told you not to do this to me. That's actually what she said. But then when he was raised, her faith now has raised the grave. When the Lord has raised your son from the dead, you have a faith reference point that is pretty powerful for any famine in your future. And that's why it's so important to live by faith. I was talking with my wife, Jennifer, the other day about Buck, Frank Daly's kid. Buck's in high school, Newport Harbor High still. Last summer, he went to Morocco for two months doing Christian ministry as a missionary, as a teenager, serving people in Morocco. Well, his dad and Jennifer went to other places like Tunisia and wherever they go in the Middle East because they go places. And I said to my wife, Jennifer, so I said, you know, the most important thing about Frank, da- uh, excuse me, Buck Daly is this. Whatever he does the rest of his teenage years at Newport Harbor High, that's going to be him and the Lord. And, and even if he, you know, God forbid he doesn't walk with the Lord for a while, that seed is sown in his heart. When you give a summer of your life as a teenager to serve the Lord that way, it's a good seed and it will come back. It was a step of faith. Can you imagine a teenager from Newport Harbor High going to Morocco for this summer of post-COVID world in 2022? Wow, the steps of faith for that one, huh? That's huge. When our son went, Calvary Chapel High School used to every year take multiple missionary trips with kids around the world. Costa Rica, Timmy went. Hannah, when she graduated college, she went with the Calvary Church Tustin to Kenya and did a mission trip where they, their lives were threatened to actually strengthen her faith. Luke went to China with Calvary Chapel High School the entire Christmas break. He came home sick. It took him a few weeks to recover from it too. But from that, he learned Mandarin and speaks it, writes it fluently to this day. And Luke has always been sold out for the Lord since he went to OCC, from Calvary to OCC, to, to GCU, Grand Canyon University. He has always been sold out for the Lord. As an executive Hyundai Corporation, he is sold out for the Lord. That's who he is. I attribute a lot to that year, that Christmas break when he was 16, and he did that. See, with young people, when they take steps of faith, you need to encourage their faith. Always. 
Because they're, plant, they're laying a seed, they're planting a seed for a lifetime of faith. Because when they're our age in their 60s, if you're in your 60s like I am, we want them to keep living by faith. See, 35 years of ministry, it's all been a step of faith for me. And I want the best steps of faith and the biggest ones to be in front of me, not behind me. And so do you, whether you realize it or not. We want our greatest steps of faith in front of us, not behind us. I want to be in the moment. And sometimes what brings out the best of us in our faith is not the fruitfulness and all the fun stuff, but a famine. A famine can serve a great purpose for people of faith. Those fathers of the faith, the patriarchs, again, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, they were all tested and refined by famine to be the great heroes of the book of Genesis. Those women that couldn't have children, Sarai, Rachel, Rebecca, all of them, it's faith. And here's a Shunammite woman, and Elisha says, A, famine, seven years, get on it. So as we think about this, because again, it's economic, and we've done a whole panoramic of why faith is so important now. As we think like in our own lives, we have a global recession going on, so that's a bit of a famine. We have a national economy we're not sure about. There's a lot of opinions on it. Who can know? I won't even go there on that one. We have personal impact on our lives with our jobs, our compensation, supply chain, various things, assets that go up, assets that go down, ebb and flow. We're still in a post-COVID world affected by COVID-19 and what it, how it impacted the entire world for three years, pretty much three years, and saying, Lord, where's it all going? You can find all kinds of YouTube channels where everyone has an opinion where they think it's going. But the Lord knows where it's going. It'd be nice if Elijah just showed up tonight and told us where it is all going. <laughs> they call that insider trading. It's against the law, actually. Um, but in real estate, if you're smart enough, it's not against the law. If you figure out what real estate's doing, good for you. But if you know what stocks are doing before they do it, then that's, that's illegal, right? But the Lord sent Elijah to her, and the Bible tells us in Proverbs twice, the prudent foresee evil and take refuge, but the foolish pass on and are punished. So if the Lord gives you, the Lord's showing us insight for what to expect in the future, we'd want to respond, Right? But ultimately, it's not the economic benefits from which the response of a a tipping of the cards for a famine are. They're ultimately for the spiritual benefits. It could be both. But if you lose everything, make sure you grow in the Lord. And if you keep everything or get more of everything, make sure you grow in the Lord. That's the bottom line. That's what a famine's meant to do. It's meant to make us more like Christ, make us more eternal, and more focused and clear of what our life and purpose and goals and objectives are. Spiritual, eternal. And through that process, God will give us common sense. The whole book of Proverbs is common sense. But really, in the end, whatever a famine is doing with our faith, it's to make us more spiritual like Christ and to make make us more eternal because everything God's doing, whether we have a bunch or lose it all in a famine, it's for eternal purposes. As beautiful as the Shunammite story is, the Shunammite lady story in the previous chapter, plus this one, really, it's about becoming like Christ and having an eternal perspective. You notice when she was told about the famine. So basically, it's very likely that we are in an uncertain economic time, and we're probably looking at, well, some people that are 
really smart with finance to say, we're, we're in a long-term period right now of downward recession. But I don't know if that's true or not. So what, again, like, what do I know? But whether we're headed for prosperity and it's all going to fix itself, or whether we're headed for a challenging time that stretches us even more, it'll run its course. It, it, it will run its course. The important thing is that we grow in our faith and in our kingdom vision through it all. So if the Lord is saying to us, hey, there's, a, uh, there's an economic famine on the horizon, well, we're called to live by faith as the church of Jesus Christ. Say, okay, Lord, what does that mean to me? Well, look what he said to the woman. She, he said, arise. That's, when Elijah came and said, arise, it's another way of arise, and it said that she arose. So verse 1 says arise, and verse 2 said she arose. So arise is A, arise, and arose means she did it, right? It's the first word that pops out at us in this whole thing, arise. And arise is one of my new favorite terms. It's the first step. Arising is the first step. The first step is realizing you need to take action. There's something you need to do. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.